you that this world and every person in it, every circumstance, every situation, you are all we need. And we look to you today. Lord, our men that are over, our team that are over in Poland, they need you today. And we pray a blessing over them. We remember them today for your protection, your anointing, your power over their life. Lord, thank you for them and for their willingness to serve people that they don't even know. And we just pray protection again and blessing over them today. Thank you for this opportunity to call in your name, the most powerful, the most mighty, the greatest name, Jesus. In your mighty name, amen. 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 As we prepare to give this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. That's pretty. That's a, a quality, a, um, a, a gift that God has given us that I don't think we think about often. If you have the ability to create wealth through a job or creating something or selling something, that's a, literally a gift from God. And so giving is just saying, God, I recognize that you are the one who's given me this ability and I want to show you that I recognize that by giving. So, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to just say thank you that you have given us this ability to produce wealth, to, to be able to earn an income. And, God, we are so grateful for it, and we recognize you today in our giving. It's not just putting money in a basket or giving online. It's saying, God, I recognize that you are the source of this ability and this resource in Jesus' name, amen.
How many have been completely and thoroughly enjoying this weather the past couple days? Thank the Lord for that. Well, you, I mean, maybe you haven't. I don't know. Uh, but it's been incredible, and we are so grateful for that. Which reminds us that, of course, summer is here. And um, we have uh, some several things going on that are super important to know about. Um, uh, we're we're going to have a video just in just a moment. But uh, we got a kids camp deposit due on June 19th. That's two weeks from today. Uh, make sure you're aware of that deposit, and it needs to happen. <clears throat> the Joy Group. You have a picnic going on June 25th from noon to 2. More info to come, so make sure you're a part of that. Um, I think last year, Charlie let me know I can come to things now, which was super appreciative and super depressing at the same time. And, uh, you know, so anyways, but that's going to be a good time. Make sure you check that out for June 25th. And then uh, Wednesday night, if you have not come out to our Wednesday night uh, Bible study or nine, uh, the uh, sacred pathways, nine ways to connect with God, make sure you make a point to come out Wednesday night. And of course, our VBS is coming up um, on the uh, 27th through the 30th of June. And we have a video that's going to talk about volunteers that we need. Hey, Tommy and Eddie, the Skit Guys here, and it's that time of year again when churches are looking for Vacation Bible School volunteers. I am so excited. Tommy loves VBS like four-year-olds love pixie sticks. <laughs> That's true. And I've got a great idea on how to get me involved this year. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, we talked about no pyrotechnics, all right? That's a no-go, all right? We can revisit that, but it's not that. I'm a Skit Guy, right? So, wait for it. Anyway, VBS is a great time for you to get involved. Even if you've never done it, maybe this is the year that you say yes to Vacation Bible School and see, hey, look at there, VBS puppets, so that works. Okay, who we got here? Is this uh, long hair, is this Samson? No, no, it's Noah. Oh, okay, yeah, Noah, sure. Ah! What, what's going on? What's happening? It's the moment where he has his nervous breakdown on the boat. <laughs> Oh, okay, I don't really want, you see, when you volunteer for VBS, and what are we doing with this right here? What are we doing? Oh, back my hair. I'm not, it's the stench of all the animals, it's awful. We don't need to do that. Okay, you're going too dark with this. God told me to do it. 40 cubits by 20 cubits, 40 cubits by 20 cubits. Shh, it's okay, it's okay, No, look at me, look at me. Look, the unicorn scout boat should be back any moment now. Let's go check on it, come on, it's okay. Making this too complicated. And volunteering for VBS isn't complicated at all. It's a worthwhile, wonderful thing. So don't forget to sign up and volunteer for VBS because you can use your gifts and talents to make a difference in kids' lives. What do you mean the Unicorn Scout boat sank? No! It's really not as hard as he's making it look. Hey, is that a rainbow? Please see Lucy. We don't expect somebody else is going to do it. We need you to volunteer for VBS. It's going to be an incredible week, and we appreciate you uh, being involved in that. And make sure you pay attention to the registration dates um, and uh, about doing that online. Make sure you get on there. If you have a neighbor that has kids, go invite somebody to VBS this year. And uh, Steve Steffel has an announcement. Thank you. Hey, one, once a year, we take the time to formally recognize and appreciate our pastors. But, you know, we, we can do that from up here. But uh, every Sunday, every day, all of us 
as a whole congregation need to encourage them and, and appreciate them. There might be something that you don't like, but there's a lot of things that you do like. And so make sure you tell them all the things you do like. All right. Hey, I, 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 there's two people that probably aren't with us, but uh, I'd like to recognize Pastor Paul Walters, our founding pastor. Oh, all right. Yes. All right. That's excellent. Well, you, you know, it took some pioneering work, and that's, that's fantastic. I, I know you've uh, faced some difficult uh, times physically, but uh, we are so appreciative. You've uh, done a pioneering work, and, you know, that's lasted. And here's a beautiful church congregation, and we can thank you for that. So, yep, with that, I'll give that to Dwight to take back. Thank you. And, you know, retirement is uh, not an option for some people. Pastor Bert Flagstad uh, retired, uh, pioneered the church, too. And uh, when he retired, he decided to serve. And he was both uh, our uh, visitation pastor and ministered here a number of times. So we're going to recognize him. I, I don't know who might be able to take that, but we'll, I'll get that to you later on. Uh, is Pastor Mike File with us? We'll have to get that over to him in the Deaf Church. But, you know, he's uh, done a lot of work in certification and all that. And, and I had thought I would just pick one scripture for each of our pastors. And I, I didn't use the method, you know, the official method of flip the Bible open and point. But, uh, but, but I picked uh, Proverbs 28, uh, 1 and 2 for Pastor Mike. And... Uh, it says, the wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And, you know, he likes adventure. I mean, <laughs> my, my wife showed me his uh, little uh, video on getting prepared for his uh, cross country across the ocean. And uh, he's, he's really been faithful with ministering to the deaf. And uh, I know, you know, their numbers are up and down. But I'll tell you, if you know of any deaf folks that they need to be at our uh, deaf church. So encourage him and encourage uh, anybody to start attending. But that, that's a great ministry, uh, and he really has a heart for, for them and really done a lot of work in uh, getting ready and taking courses and all the rest. Pastor Brandon, Brandon Flanagan, uh, I had thought about 2 Timothy 2.15. He has done an awful lot of work in study and uh, got certification, um, and I, I think he's even got some further study he's going to do. But 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I'll tell you, his messages are really great. You can see that he's really sought the Lord's, you know, is trying to bring out things from the Scripture that we can apply to our lives. And uh, that's just a great job. So thank you, Pastor Brandon. And Pastor Hans, Pastor Hans Pate, uh, I was thinking of uh, Philippians 4.13, and uh, there's a couple ways to look at this. And uh, so we'll look at it in the context, but then I'll also mention something. And that says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do 
all this through him who gives me strength. And I know through his messages, he told us about some of the uh, years of, uh, you know, not having the plenty. But uh, the other thing that's so neat is all the experience that he brings to our youth. And uh, think about it. He, he ministered in uh, the... the um, drug addiction, teen challenge, and uh, then a pastor to church, and, and other experience too. And normally, people go from youth and then just uh, stay in adult ministry. And he felt the call of God to youth. And, and it's so important because that's our next generation that was going to take care of this church and see it go forth and see the gospel go forth. And so, what a tremendous vision, and bringing such talent, and also adding to the leadership of this church. So, Pastor Hans, thank you. Uh, I know you can do all things, and uh, we appreciate that you decided to do all things here. And, and, and finally, Pastor Michael Petrucci. Uh, now, this, uh, this he probably is going to say, why in the world did you pick this verse? But I picked Acts 9.31. And it says, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, increased in numbers. And uh, the context of this was uh, Paul was uh, debating and probably uh, pounding on the Hellenistic Jews. They were ready to kill him and probably uh, just about the rest of the church. So they sent him off and he uh, went in his Bible study in the, uh, you know, the outer skirts of uh, um, where, where he was in the desert. But the, the neat thing that Pastor Petrucci has done is proper shepherding. It's not just teaching. I mean, we enjoy his good preaching, but he protects the flock. You know, we've had maybe 23 years, and there hasn't been a church split. And they're not major schisms and different things. So there's a protection of the body. There's an encouragement um, think about the ratio of people serving, you know, to the congregation, and probably it's almost one of the highest. Our church has a lot of people that serve, serve the children, serve adults, teach, do different things, and um, that's a result, I think, of his example of servant leadership. And there's also the aspect that there's ministry all, to all ages. Um, he saw the, the missing uh, ministry to our young adults, and that's a very flourishing ministry now. And so, you know, I just want to compliment him on overall, all around, proper shepherding. And, and working with uh, both Pastor Hans and Pastor Brandon, making sure they have opportunity to preach and develop their talents. I just want to relate one, one thing, that you can see something behind the scenes. So a couple of weeks ago, the rangers did a service project, and we had two loads of uh, brush that we took out from around the pond, and we put them over by the dumpster, and I sent them a message, well, well, we'll put it in the dumpster, you know, we're only supposed to put in a certain amount each week, and we didn't have time to put any in that, that week. Well, by the time that week was out, he had already put in half of it, and then... Uh, then Pastor Brandon sends a message, and I don't know why exactly you did that. You sent it to my wife, but she didn't want to 
do it. <laughs> you know, he, he said there was a couple branches that were too big to uh, put in. You got to go cut them up. So, so I cut them up, but that was only like five minutes of work. And they had done all the work behind the scenes, um, putting all that away. But I, I want to thank uh, Pastor Pertucci for just tremendous leadership here at church. Thank you, Steve. Oh, you're welcome. Hello. Hey, guys. You got it. My fault. <laughs> but thank you, Steve, and thank you to the board uh, for recognizing my staff and I uh, today. Really appreciate your cooperation. We have to work together as a body. Amen? Amen. And, uh, and God has called us here, and he's given us a specific charge, and, and we're just going to keep being faithful to that. So, appreciate Pastor Hans for being that older, wiser, more experienced youth pastor. He really hit it, didn't he? He really nailed that one. So, really appreciate you guys. And good to see Pastor Walters here today. That was a surprise, huh? Yeah. And Steve came up in his Ranger shirt. I thought maybe he might have a Ranger announcement for us. Apparently not. So, hey, listen, we are getting back into, because I was away last week, we're getting, weekend, we're going to get back into our marriage series, The Knot, and I thought I need to start with a video that's going to help you to understand the difference between men and women. Let's go ahead and show that video. We're going to start discussing men's brains, women's brains, and how they're very different from each other. Now, I want to start with men's brains, all right? Now, men's brains are, are very unique. Men's brains are made up of little boxes. And we have a box for everything. We've got a box for the car. We've got a box for the money. We've got a box for the job. We've got a box for you. We've got a box for the kids. We've got a box for your mother somewhere in the basement. We've got, we got, we, we got boxes everywhere. And the rule is, the boxes don't touch. When a man discusses a particular subject, we go to that particular box, we pull that box out, we open the box, we discuss only what is in that box. All right? And, and, and then we close the box and put it away being very, very careful not to touch any other boxes. brains are very, very different from men's brains. Women's brains are made up of a big ball of wire. And everything is connected to everything. The money's connected to the car, and the car's connected to your job, and your kids are connected to your mother, and everything's connected to everything. And it was like... It's like the internet superhighway, okay? And, 
and it's all driven by energy that we call emotion. It's, just, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why women tend to remember everything. Because if you take an event and you connect it to an emotion, it burns in your memory and you can remember it forever. The same thing happens for men. It just doesn't happen very often because quite frankly, we don't care. All right. Women tend to care about everything. And she just loves it. Okay. Now men, we have a box in our brain that most women are not aware of. This particular box has nothing in it. In fact, we call it the nothing box. And of all the boxes a man has in his brain, the nothing box is our favorite box. If a man has a chance, he'll go to his nothing box every time. That's why a man can do something seemingly completely brain dead for hours on end. You know, like fishing. Now they've actually measured this. The University of Pennsylvania a couple of years ago did a study and discovered that men have the ability to think about absolutely nothing and still breathe. <laughs> you know, they connected all the wires and stuff like that and watched the brain activity, and then all of a sudden, he <laughs> I think he's dead. <laughs> huh? You know. <laughs> women can't do it. They can't do it. Their minds never stop. And, and they don't understand the nothing box. And it drives them crazy. Because nothing drives a woman more crazy or makes her feel more irritated than to witness a man doing nothing. Let's pray. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, two weeks ago, we covered some of the basics of marriage. For two consecutive Sundays, I addressed the five purposes, five purposes of marriage. And now today, we're going to look at, and we want to consider this morning, the character of a wife. Men and women are different. You saw some of that, and you know it. You just know it. I don't know if we knew it instinctually, but you learned it, and married people definitely know it. But what is a wife? What is a wife? And then next Sunday morning, we will consider the character of a husband. What is a husband? And as I mentioned in both previous messages, there's a lot of confusion out there today concerning marriage and specifically the roles of husbands and wives today. There's been a lot of change over the last 30, 40 years. Amen. Many of the clear cut duties of each spouse have been erased. Absolutes have dissolved in the areas of responsibility. For each marriage partner, it's incredible 
the changes that have taken place. You know, as a youngster growing up in my childhood home, it was really so very simple. I mean, we saw it. We all saw it. Those of you my age or around that age, all the dads on my street went to work every morning and all the moms stayed home. It was very, very simple and calculated. I don't remember one mother, one wife who worked outside the home, except maybe for the divorced mom at the end of the street. All the other mothers were home, and that was pretty much the norm. Dads went to work, moms stayed home. In fact, let me read something to you, an excerpt from the 1950s home economics textbook for high school girls, keeping in mind now that the boys were not permitted to take home economics back in the 50s. This is called, basically, Rules for the Homemaker, 1950s. I think we have a graphic for that. There you go. Rule number one, have dinner ready. Plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious meal on time. This is a way of letting him know that you have been thinking about him and are concerned about his needs. Most men are hungry when they come home, and the prospects of a good meal are part of the warm welcome needed. Rule number two, prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so you'll be refreshed when he arrives. Touch up your makeup. Put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh looking. He's just been with a lot of work-weary people. Be a little happy and a little more interesting. His boring day may need a lift. Rule number three, clear away clutter. Make one last trip through the main part of the house just before your husband arrives. Gathering up school books, toys, paper, etc. Then run a dust cloth over the tables. <laughs> your husband will feel he has reached a haven of rest and order and it will give him a lift too. Rule number four, prepare the children. Take a few minutes to wash the children's hands and faces. If they're small, comb their hair. And if necessary, change their clothes. They are little treasures, and he would like to see them playing the part. Rule number five, minimize the noise. At the time of his arrival, eliminate all noise of washer, dryer, or vacuum. Try to encourage the children to be quiet. Greet him with a warm smile and kiss, letting him know that you're glad to see him. Some don'ts. Don't greet him with problems or complaints. Don't complain if he's late for dinner. Count this as minor compared with what he might have gone through during his day. Rule number six, make him comfortable. Have him lean back in a comfortable chair or suggest he lay down in the bedroom. Have a cool or warm drink ready for him. Arrange his pillow. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this really shouldn't be funny. But me. Arrange his pillow and offer to take off his shoes. Speak in a low, soft, soothing, and pleasant voice. Allow him to relax and unwind. I can't believe it. It's only been 30, 40 years. Where did it all go wrong? Maybe I should have preached this on Father's Day. And rule number seven, listen to him. You may have a dozen things to tell him. But the, the moment of his arrival is not the time. Let him talk first. Oh, excuse me, two more. Rule number eight. Make the evening his. Never complain if he does not take you out to dinner or to other places of entertainment. Instead, try to understand his world of strain and pressure and his need to be home and to relax. And rule number nine, the goal. Try to make your home a place of peace and order where your husband can relax. Now, that does not sound like our world today, does it? 
We live in a much different world today, and yet, although textbooks will continue to change, and boys will from now on forever be welcomed in home ec classes, one thing will never change. And that, of course, is the Word of God. And that's what we want to look at today, obviously. It's both eternal, it is immutable, and so for this reason, we need to know what the Bible says about husbands and about wives. And so we're going to look at the second chapter of Genesis, first book of your Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 22. The Lord God said, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. Now the Lord God had formed out all out of the ground, all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whenever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from that rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now there's a slightly different version of this account that some of you have probably heard before. I know I've shared it. It goes like this. One day, Adam was walking around the Garden of Eden, feeling very, very lonely. And so God asked him, he said, what's wrong with you, Adam? And Adam said, I I don't have anyone to talk to. And so God said that he was going to make Adam a companion and that it would be a woman. And he said, this person, Adam, this person will gather food for you. She will cook for you. When you discover clothing, she'll wash it for you. She'll always agree with every decision you make. She'll bear your children and never ask you to get up in the middle of the night to help take care of them. She will not nag you. She will always be the first to admit that she was wrong when you've had a disagreement. She'll never have a headache and will freely give you love and affection. And then Adam asked God, he thought for a while, but Lord, what would a woman like this cost? To which God replied, an arm and a leg. And so Adam said, well, then what can I get for a rib? And that's the rest of the story. This version, by the way, is called you get what you pay for. <laughs> so, but the truth of the matter is <laughs> that God always knows. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be serious because this is a serious part of my message. <clears throat> okay. God, really, this is serious, okay? God knows exactly what we need. He always knows exactly what we need. Amen? I just can't believe I shouldn't have put that joke right there. He knows what we need. And the Bible tells us in Matthew 7, 11, <laughs> I just think that's funny, 7, 11, that our Father in heaven gives only good gifts. And Proverbs 18, specifically tells us that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. <laughs> you, Pastor Brandon, do you want to come up and help me finish this? <laughs> and so according to Genesis chapter 2, God gave woman to man to meet a very specific need. Verse 18 states that Adam was alone. And it was God who said that he was alone. It was God who realized that he was lonely. It was God who was concerned that he was alone. 
It wasn't, wasn't Adam's idea. Adam felt this, obviously, and God knows all things, and he understood that. But God is the one who recognized the need and decided to make a helper who would be suitable for Adam. And so the first thing that we're told about wives in the Bible, right here in Genesis chapter 2, is that they are to be a helper. Or as I shared previously in a prior message, the, the Hebrew word for helper might have been the first week that I started this series. The, the, the Hebrew word for helper literally means one who is part opposite or what we would call a counterpart. In other words, like us, but with sufficient differences because we need those differences. And I believe, I sincerely believe, based on the word and by experience, that in a woman's heart, there's a, there's a desire to help. To know how to be helpful. Isn't that true? I mean, how many times have I been heading out? I mean, over the years, been heading out of the house. And, and, and my wife would run after me or the kids back then when they were younger and start loading us down with all the essentials. I mean, things we didn't even know that we needed, but she was convinced that we needed them to get through the day. I mean, food for the day, reminders about events, everything else. She wanted to make sure that we were well equipped. She wanted to make sure that we had an ample supply of everything. Not just enough, but more than enough. I mean, you begin to look like a pack mule, especially during the winter months. And it's because she wants to help. But the number one way that she becomes a helper to her husband is by meeting and helping her husband to overcome loneliness. That's the number one way. I think we're all aware that men do not have the number or depth of friendships and relationships that women have. Guys, it's just, not, it's just not as easy for us for some reason. Oh, we'll enjoy getting together for something, but we just don't develop the depth that we might need. And, and, and I would suspect that a man's most substantial relationship is the one that he has with his wife. Not another guy, but with his wife. I mean, good marriage or bad, it's probably the most meaningful relationship that a man has. And ladies, I don't want you to scoff at what I'm saying. I want everybody really to be open-minded about this. Even though your husband may oftentimes appear to be aloof, possibly even unable to spell the word intimacy, don't write off what I'm saying. Because we're all here to learn something. And the reality is that many men are lonely in their marriages. And too many men struggle to express this to their wives and, and even to other men, if they should have a close one close friend for that matter. You know, when you think about this, the easiest way, the most effectively, effective way to safeguard your marriage and to safeguard your husband from the dangers of adultery is to be a helper in the sense that you would be your husband's closest friend. And just think about it for a minute. I know women, ladies, you can do this. You have no problem doing this. You, 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 you think about how you interact with your female friends. Do you ever criticize your girlfriends for the dumb things they say? Do you ever criticize them for the dumb things they do? Do you ever criticize your girlfriends for the dumb things they purchase? No, you don't. Do you ever try to motivate or manipulate your female friends through criticism or, or guilt? No. How do you relate to your female friends? You learn of something they're planning to do or something they want. And the first question that you will ask is this. Is there anything I can do to help? Right? Do you need anything? Can I bring something? Isn't that true? Isn't that in the heart of a woman? Can I help in some way? 
You see, your wife, guys, your wife goes right into the helper mode, even with her female friends. And if she has suggestions, I guarantee that they're implied. They're very cautiously given. They're never direct because she doesn't want to offend. She doesn't want to alienate. She wants to help. And yet there have been times when I, as a pastor, uh, I've heard from women and I've overheard women who are verbally and openly critical of their husbands. And, and ladies, if you're too free with your criticisms, what will happen is you will force your husband to react by using the most basic, simplest coping mechanism that a man has. And that is to put up a wall. A barrier will go up and intimacy will be lost. And let's face it, you both want intimacy. I mean, that's why you got married in the first place, leaving and cleaving. You want to be together. You want to enjoy one another. And again, your husband may not be proficient. In fact, he may not even have a clue, again, concerning intimacy. But I want you to understand that he still does desire. He doesn't know what it is, but he wants it. He's lonely inside, and he may not even understand it. He may not know how to verbalize a need, but I'm telling you, it's still there. And the word tells us that it's there. And a statistical proof of this is in the fact that most cases of adultery do not begin with physical desire in mind, but rather most often begin with what is called an affair of the heart. You know, affairs are much more, they much more often begin not as a hunger for sex, but for friendship to quench that problem of loneliness. And in my counseling experience, I've so often heard from men who have failed in this way. I've heard from them how the other woman was so friendly. She was so accepting. She was so not judgmental. And then that relationship eventually deepened to a point of breaking and violating the marriage vow. And that's so sad. So ladies, be a friend and be a helper to your husband. Ease up a bit on your expectations and don't criticize. In fact, here's a great little axiom that you may have heard before. And I, I really think it's true. The perfect wife is a wife who doesn't expect a perfect husband. Isn't that good? Now, I don't know if I stole that or if I made it up, but I like it either way. Seriously, the perfect wife is a wife who doesn't expect a perfect husband. And that's probably where most men are today. The expectations in life, in the workplace, in the marketplace are so demanding today. And, and, and folks, a male ego is so intimately connected with how we make a living. And most men are just looking to come home to a wife who will be that non-judgmental friend, someone who would be accepting. We want what you're capable of giving to your girlfriends, minus the shopping. Okay, we are not interested in that aspect. Be our helper and be our friend. Now, a second ingredient of a woman's character is that she is a servant. And I'm telling you, you see this in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. And believe it or not, despite a couple decades of women's rights activism, we still can acknowledge that women today really do have a servant nature. And yet, you know, sadly, our culture doesn't value those who have a servant mentality. Our culture looks down on those who are willing to do the extra right, with, with no recompense. There's a selfishness in our society today that is just so pervasive. It's all about me first. People thinking about what's going to benefit them first. And it's become way too prevalent. And you know, a servant does not think about their own needs first. A true servant. And as Christians, we're all called to be servants. Real servants, genuine servants, think about the needs of others first. 
And obviously, there's no greater example of that than Jesus Christ himself. Amen? Let's look at this. Philippians 2, verse 5. It says, in your relationships with one another, cross the board, it says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, or other words, although being God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As it began, it said, being in very nature God. He was and is God. And yet he made himself nothing. He's everything, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. And so it was his servant nature that put our welfare first, our eternal welfare first. And rather than consider his own pain and the shame of his crucifixion, this God-man died for us so that we'd be able to avoid an eternity in hell and live with him forever. That's the servant nature. And we see this best noted concerning wives when we read Proverbs chapter 31. Look at verse 10. Proverbs 31 verse 10. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her. Lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days or all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night, still dark. She provides food for her family, portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds a distaff and grasps a spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them Supplies the merchants with sashes. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction are on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Look at all that's being said here about this wife of noble character. She is capable. She is competent, industrious, energetic. She is fearless. She's diligent. This woman, this wife that we just read about is extremely talented. And that's not even the significance of the passage. What I want you to see, the real meat of what we've read is, is found here. And it's not one of the things that's, it's not, you'd have to, you have to kind of look at it. You have to kind of observe these verses, but it's listed here. And I want you to notice that everything that she does, 
All these incredible things that she's capable of doing. All these things that she does. Not one of them that are listed is for herself. Not one of them is for herself. Nothing that, we were to, she didn't do, nothing that, that was listed is for herself. It's all about her husband and her children, her household, and even specifically her female servants. That is the servant nature that we're talking about. And also notice here and throughout Scripture that a woman is only, I want to I I mention this again. I mentioned a couple weeks ago. That scripture tells us that a woman is only to be submissive to her husband. The Bible does not teach that all women are to be submissive to all men. That is Taliban teaching. With women wearing burqas and kafayas and hajibs and covering themselves in an act of submission as a lower class. That is not the Bible. Can you see how, see how people, see how Satan likes to pervert the truth? That's why people fear submission, proper submission, biblical submission, because they think it's submission to all and wholesale. But the Bible says that wives are to be subject to their own husbands as we are all to be subject to Christ. And when we think of the word subject or submissive, being a servant, it does not connote being a doormat. That's not what the Bible teaches. And here's why I say this New Testament word, that's used to signify submission, specifically denotes a willing subjection. A willing subjection. The word in the New Testament Greek language is hupotasso, which literally means to put oneself under another. In other words, to willingly and wholeheartedly of your own volition choose to serve you. If I'm going to, if, it means if I want to do something for you, it's going to start here. It's not forced externally. It's not, it's not rules, regulations, and laws. It's because I want to. I will serve you because I love you. I will serve you because I want to give to you. I mean, just as a person would make any other choice. I mean, maybe choosing a profession or an occupation. You don't do that by coercion. It's not something that's imposed. And when it comes to servanthood, it's based upon a personal choice. Based upon a heartfelt willingness to serve. And any woman who will see this and not allow the delusions of our modern culture to prevail. Because see, our culture is trying to make women feel trapped. They're going to have a blessed marriage if they'll willingly give. Ladies, you don't have to compete for leadership in the home. The two of you are a team. When you got married, the Bible said the two became one. And each of you have unique talents and abilities, husbands and wives. Unique natures that you bring together into the marriage. And truly the, the whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts. God has made us different one from another. And obviously to best complement one another. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I love this passage. It so beautifully conveys our need for mutual submission and mutual dependency. This is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 11 and 12. Very simple. It says, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man. Nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from a man, so also man is born of woman, and everything comes from God. Isn't that great? 
Husbands and wives need to work together. I love what Proverbs 14.1 has to say. It says, the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish woman tears hers down. And so again, to the ladies, don't fear cultivating the servant nature within you. Don't be afraid of that. It'll build up your house. And then finally this morning, a wife is a helper. She is a servant. And thirdly, she is a lover. And let me tell you, scriptures are very enlightening on this topic. I want us first to look at Titus, the second chapter, Titus 2, verse 1 through 5. Listen to this. He says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. And so we're told here, among other things, that the older women are to train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. And friends, you'll, you'll see this theme. It's repeated throughout the New Testament, uh, especially the epistles. What I found so very interesting to me is that here in the New Testament, every time that a husband is instructed to love his wife, okay, if you look, if you look at the New Testament, every time a husband is commanded to love his wife, the word choice is the Greek word agapao, or in the, or in the English, we transliterate it to agape, agape, which means what? God love, right? It means unconditional love. Husbands are to love their wives unconditionally. They're to love their wives just as God would. They, husbands are to love their wives just as Christ, Ephesians chapter 5, just as Christ or God loves his church. That's a tall order, and we're going to deal with husbands next week. We'll pick up on that. Consistently, though, the word choice for husbands loving their wives is the word agape. Unconditional love from husband to wife. Now here in Titus and in every other reference in the New Testament, when a woman is instructed to love her husband, it is not, and I repeat, it is not with an agape love. Now that's one of the first questions I have for Jesus when I get to heaven. Okay. Husbands are to agape their wives. Wives don't have to. Rather, the word that's used here is philandros from the Greek word phileo, which means to love as a friend. And I believe that that's very significant. She, guys, she is to love us as a friend. And tying in with the first portion of a character of a wife, it's meant to erase our loneliness. And get this, the Bible also does not use the word eros, when it talks about how a wife should love her husband, eros represents erotic love, but it always uses the word philos, philios, or philandros. Friend love, a companion, a confidant. And we talked about these expectations earlier in this message in, in part one. And I'd ask for the ladies to drop their expectations concerning their husbands, right? A perfect wife is the wife who doesn't expect a perfect husband. And so in light of what we've learned, okay, I want to ask the husbands to drop their expectations concerning erotic love from their wives. 
You see, Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7 speak of erotic love. And those three chapters pertain to the harlot, to the adulteress. And guys, our wives are meant to respond to us, but they're not harlequin romance lovers. Their love for us is based upon and is best illustrated to us as husbands through their loyalty. That's how your wife proves her love for you, is her loyalty to you. And if we had time today and, and we could read from the Song of Solomon, we'd learn that it is the husband to be the romancer. That he is to be the initiator of intimate and physical love. And again, you see here, you know what, what's happening? I see this in society, our modern media, television, movies, printed media. They're all trying to convince us that women should and that they do lust for men. You know, that's, it's in almost all programming. The women are always coming after the men. And you know what? That's perverse. It's not biblical. Older women, we're told in Titus, older women are to train the younger women to love their husbands by teaching them to be loyal. I like the way Proverbs 31.11 said it. it. It said, her husband has full confidence in her. Her husband has full confidence in her. One more passage and then we'll close. It's 1 Peter 3, reading verse 1 through 6. It says, wives, in the same way, submit to yourselves, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and the reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters, if you do what is right, and do not give way to fear. Fear of what? Submission? Purity? Fear of what? Insecurity? What, fear of what? Take a look at that verse sometime. But very quickly, we are given here several traits of a truly beautiful woman. A woman who could be classified as a daughter of Sarah, who is to be respected. Verse 4 speaks of an inner beauty. And as perverse and as tainted as our world has become today, it is still, I'm telling you, that there still exists the kind of beauty that captivates. It's the kind of beauty that gets noticed. And I want you to look at the descriptors with me that we just read in these verses. Submissive, purity, reverence, a gentle and quiet spirit. The word gentle there means not vengeful. Quiet means tranquil. That's how these actually translate. It doesn't mean absence of words. It means peaceful and calm. You see, behavior and attitude are important. And frankly, a special word to our young ladies here this morning. It's okay to want to look your best. But don't ever exchange or base your self-esteem on a name brand makeup product or anything else external, clothing, whatever. But rather be sure to work on your inner self and desire an unfading beauty. 
What is a wife? She is a helper and a friend. She is a servant and a friend. She's a lover and a friend. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you created us so unique in the garden. You created us so unique, made in your image. And Lord, you prescribed that there be a leaving and a cleaving, that two would become one. Lord, your word says so much about marriage, more than I could, could expound upon in just five messages. But Lord, I pray, God, that right now every one of us would care more about what you say about marriage, that we care more about what you say about wives and husbands and families than what we're hearing from the world. Or what we see is opinion on social media. Lord, you created marriage after you created the man and the woman. The very first institution, a holy in institution. And Father God, all of us men that are married here today, Lord, we thank you for the helper, for the servant, for the lover that you've given to us. And Lord, I pray God that we as men would leave this place having a better understanding of how to love our helper and our friend and our lover, our servant. Lord, help us, Lord. Lord, I pray, God, that you would work in all the marriages that are represented here this morning. And we ask it for your purpose. We ask it for your glory. God, that you'd be glorified in our marriages, that our marriages would be a testimony to those around us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Father God, I do pray your blessing, Lord, upon each one here today, married, unmarried. Lord, I just pray your blessing. And I pray that you would give each one the desire of their hearts according to your will. Lord, I pray your your blessing as we leave this place, Lord. I pray your blessing as we head into a new week. And Lord, I ask for your will to be done in our lives, even as it is in heaven. Lord, help us to be obedient to you. Bless your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless.